0: Please turn also to the New Testament to the book of uh, to the book of uh, First Timothy. We're at at first Timothy chapter three, and the text for this morning is first Timothy chapter three verse sixteen. Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 I'll begin reading from verse 14 this also is God's holy word I hope to come to you soon but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God a pillar and buttress of the truth great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness he was manifested in the flesh Vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. May we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our Almighty God, we come before you again. We acknowledge, Father, that your Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that he indeed is exalted Father, we thank you that uh, you have planned that he would take upon himself human flesh. Uh, Father, we thank you that he walked among us. Father, that in him we have uh, the image of the invisible God and that in him we have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, He is the ancient of days. Father, we thank you that in him we have our forgiveness of sins, our eternal life, our hope of glory, that he indeed should increase and that we should decrease. Father, we pray that you would remind us that our lives are centered around him. We pray, Father, that we would follow not the ways of this world, that we would treasure not the things of this life, but that we would treasure Jesus Christ, for indeed he is the pearl of great price. Father, if any are here who do not know you, We pray, Father, for your Holy Spirit's mighty work to open hearts, to take away hearts of stone, to give hearts of flesh. We pray, Father, that you would transform our ways, that we would submit to and bow the knee to Jesus Christ, our Lord. We pray, Father, that our Lord Jesus would be exalted, that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. There are such things as secret societies. For for some, we would hear about things like the Elks Lodge or the Masons, uh, and they have these secret societies. So you, you think about uh, I'm going to get in trouble here, but Mormonism and, and for Jehovah's Witnesses, these are some somewhat secret societies too. That you get into this inner circle, that there is some secret knowledge, and these clubs, certain ones. Uh, there are things that you have to learn about such that you can get into the inner circle and they won't tell you until you kind of work your way up. Have you ever wondered about Christianity? Is there also such a thing? Is it also a secret society? And the answer is absolutely not. When you think about the things that Jesus taught when Jesus was, was being arrested and he was on trial, they were trying to question him about these things. And he had said, hey, why don't you talk to the people? The things I taught, I taught publicly. Meaning, hey, the things that I was teaching in public were the things, same things that I was teaching in private with my disciples. There's no secret knowledge. Everything that ought to be known about Christianity is taught openly. This is the way that we act. What you see is what you get. This is who Jesus is. This is how, what he calls us to be. And so far from it, a secret society. Rather, we have a public, an open teaching, a candid teaching, a forthright teaching. And that is the person of Jesus Christ. Here, in this book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, these are known as the pastoral epistles. Timothy and Titus were both protégés of the Apostle Paul. And Timothy was this young pastor that the Apostle Paul was giving him instructions about the proper rule in Christ's church. Paul knew that Timothy was a rather timid young man. Uh, And here we think he's probably uh, in his 20s, but probably more like his 30s or 40s. But he was a young man. He was giving him instructions regarding how the church ought to function. That the church is the household of God. And a pillar and support. Or pillar and buttress of the truth. And he gives instruction about how uh, how to govern the church. Uh, how worship ought to be conducted. And so here we see that he gives him a brief summary. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. He gives him a brief summary. And notice that summary is six things specifically addressing the Lord Jesus Christ about who he was his ministry and what he would do so the truth that we see in this passage in this verse the biblical historic truths of the Christian faith are the basis of your hope devotion and unity in Jesus Christ the biblical historic truths of the Christian faith are the basis of your hope devotion and unity in Jesus Christ We'll look at this in three points. The first is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Second, the witness of Jesus Christ. And third, the reception of Jesus Christ. We have the first point, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit. Here, the Apostle Paul is telling this young minister, Timothy, how he ought to conduct himself, how he ought to behave and how people ought to behave in the household of God. We can understand that uh, when you go to a friend's house or a friend comes to your house, perhaps they're of a different culture, they're of a different upbringing, that there are certain things that go on in your home uh, that that uh, you would expect would would be understood by most people. You know, a friend of mine <clears throat> Minister, when he had his, his children's friends come over, that he was strict on a number of things. One of the things he was strict about is you go into someone's house, into their house, that, uh, that thou shalt not misuse the Lord's name. That if, if this young man or young woman came in and started uh, misusing the Lord's name, he would, he would immediately say, hey, listen, in our house, right, it is, it is it's not acceptable that we would use the Lord's name flippantly, right? It ought to be used for praise. It ought to be used in prayer. It ought to be used in adoration. But to use, to use God's name flippantly is wrong. And so here, in many ways, uh, the, the, the pastor Timothy is being addressed by the apostle Paul regarding how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God and what this church is. The church is a pillar and buttress of, this, of the truth. Here in verse 16, the Apostle Paul gives a concise summary of the Christian faith. That concise summaries can be found in various places. This is one of them. And, and we, we wish that the Bible were written in such a way that it was a handbook. So, hey, everything I need to know about this topic can be found in this passage. But it's not written that way. This is not how God designed it. You think life would have been so much easier if it was, but that's not God's plan. Here we have a concise summary, but uh, we kind of need other passages to give us concise summaries also. Here, the Apostle Paul addresses the mystery of godliness. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And this word for godliness is often translated as devoutness or devotion. And the big question that comes up for us here is why are Christians committed to living holy lives? Perhaps that question can be asked of you. Why are you committed to living a holy life in Jesus Christ? Here, one answer that we can give from another passage is that it's the grace of God. Oh well, wait a minute. Certain people think, well, this grace that, that sinners can be forgiven, that their slates can be washed clean by the perfect work of Jesus Christ, that sinners who believe upon Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, that they can be forgiven. You know, that, that, that's, that free grace is too dangerous. You have to have people work for it, otherwise they won't obey. Oh, no. This is where you separate the wheat from the chaff. Because in the very word of God, Titus 2, verses 11 to 13, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen to that. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. This is the grace of God. The grace of God is what trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So you ask, what is the mystery of godliness? On one hand, we can say it's the grace of God. That is the mystery. This is why Christians, this is why you and I renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. But instead, we live upright, godly lives. Self-control. Another way we can answer is this great mystery behind a devoted people is that you and I have an exalted Christ. What's behind a devoted people, a holy people, is an exalted and holy Jesus Christ. Notice that these six truths, this this summary, and some, some claim that the Apostle Paul was quoting some type of a a present-day confession—not present-day today, but present-day then, when he wrote it. Whatever's the case, that summary made its way into the scriptures. It's divinely inspired. Notice that all six statements refer to Jesus Christ. Also, the term used at the beginning of verse 16—other uh, versions would say "by common confession." Uh, ESV says great indeed we confess but by common confession meaning that this is a confession that every Christian should be able to claim belief it's an essential teaching so in the first part here he was manifested in the flesh vindicated by the spirit we have two things taught about our Lord Jesus one is regarding the incarnation he was manifested in the flesh there Is a group called the Gnostics or the Docetists. They they tend to go together, but they are heretics. And they claim that Jesus appeared as a phantasm. Uh, And and perhaps you're not familiar with that word, but I'll I'll use a modern day word, that Jesus appeared as a hologram. They think he appeared, he, he looked like a human. And you think about a hologram, right? You see some of these science fiction uh, movies where this person uh, has a special weapon, right? He has a hologram of himself. He walks into a room and, and people try to attack him and, and their swords go right through him or the bullets fly right through him, right? So he doesn't have flesh. And this is what people in the first century were claiming, first and second century. Hey, he only appeared like a human. He, he appeared basically he was like a ghost, but he had no flesh, well, this is false. 1 John chapter 4 addresses this. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. <clears throat> and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. So here we have Jesus indeed came in the flesh. And any who deny this truth is not of God. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Jesus, even right now, who sits at the right hand of God, he is fully God and fully man. He has flesh. And at the moment of conception, or you can say, hey, at the moment of concession, he took upon himself human flesh. that He started to grow in the womb, the womb of the Virgin Mary. And as that continued, at that point, before that time, Jesus was spirit only. Second person of the Trinity, he was spirit only. And at that point, he took upon himself flesh, and he will continue to be flesh and spirit eternally. There's no need for any kinds of nonsense or drivel about how it's outlandish for God to appear in human flesh. Other religions... Who do not acknowledge Jesus as God will make all kinds of uh, mockery about the things that a human would have to do. Can you imagine your God doing this? Eating food, going to the bathroom, whatever's the case. Well, Jesus would have had to. He would have. He would have done all those things because he is fully human. The scriptures simply say. That Jesus indeed had flesh. And that this was a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which is translated, God with us. Now perhaps the big question is, why? Why did Jesus take upon himself human flesh? Matthew 1.21 She will bear a son and... And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is what Jesus came to do. Jesus, Jesus didn't come to to, 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 to be this a great moral teacher or or to be this great example for us to follow. He didn't come as a martyr. No, he came to pay the price that only he could pay. No one else could do that. No one. Moses could not do that, Abraham could not. David could not do it. None of these men, holy men, none of the prophets who came before, spoke about themselves. They spoke about this one who would come. This, this God-Man, fully God, fully Man. We think about this first point of incarnation. He was manifested in the flesh. Jesus was manifested in the flesh. And we're told that as the last Adam, he is the life-giving spirit. He comes to give new life. Do you have life in Jesus Christ? Are you trusting in him? Are you trusting in his perfect work? Are you trusting in his sacrifice? That he died on the cross on behalf of sinners? Are you trusting that he died in your place? He died the very death that you and I deserve to die. Here also, we're told that he was vindicated by the Spirit. Vindicated by the Spirit. Understandably, Jesus was misunderstood, to say the least. He was falsely accused. Think about some of the things that the Jewish leaders accused him of. That he was a deceiver. That he was a blasphemer. That he was a glutton and a drunkard. That he was demon possessed. You think about these accusations. Well, he is vindicated by the Spirit, meaning that the Holy Spirit clears him of all wrong. All these accusations are false. And that the truth of Jesus' claims about himself are fully affirmed and established. That's what it means when we say that he is vindicated of the Spirit. That all of Jesus' claims about himself, the Spirit verifies and affirms. Think about this work of the Spirit at Christ's birth. That Jesus was not conceived by ordinary generation. When you have a sinful man and a sinful woman, the only thing that can be produced is another sinful human being. That they have the nature of Adam. But Jesus was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and because of that he is without sin. There's also his vindication at his baptism. Matthew chapter 3. That at his baptism the whole the, the spirit of God descended as a dove and light lightning upon him. And then a voice from heaven, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. There's also his vindication at his transfiguration. This is my beloved son. With whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. But the most significant. Vindication of the Holy Spirit. Of Jesus Christ. Was at his resurrection. At his resurrection. This is, this is why. This is why Satan. This is why the world. Attempts to discredit the resurrection. They realized. That that's the cornerstone. That's the heart of it all. If Jesus did not, did not rise from the dead, Christianity would come tumbling down. Jesus was raised from the dead because death could not contain him. The wages of sin is death. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ had no sin because he is God. And because of that, death could not contain him. Jesus was vindicated by the Spirit at his resurrection because there is proof this man is sinless. This man is God. This man was raised from the dead. And because he was raised, you and I, who are sinners, looking to him, we have a perfect Savior in him. We look forward to our own resurrection because Jesus was raised from the grave. Romans 1, 4 and was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This was Jesus, raised from the dead, declared to be the Son of God, by the Spirit of holiness. We think also, not only of Jesus' vindication by the Spirit, but what about yours? Are you vindicated by the Spirit? Is there in your life... The washing of regeneration. And renewing by the Holy Spirit. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ? Are you made new? Are you a new creation in Jesus Christ? That having the Spirit means that you are no longer living according to the desires of the flesh. That the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. But the mind that is set on the Spirit Accepts the things that freely come from the Spirit of God. Is the Holy Spirit affirming you in your adoption. By which you cry, Abba, Father. That we should cry out to God. And that this is the vindication of the Spirit upon Jesus. Of who he is. What he came to do. But the Holy Spirit. May he vindicate you also. Even as you trust in Jesus. For eternal life. So this is the first point. The revelation of Jesus Christ. We have the second point. The witness of Jesus Christ. The witness of Jesus Christ. He was seen by angels. Proclaimed among the nations. Here he was seen by angels. It's very interesting that. When the world takes something. Misinterprets it. Misuses it then for Christians, we start to think, well, that's bad. And what I mean by that is the the world is interested in spirits. They're interested in angels. So you you think about angels, the the world wants to worship angels. And not only the world, but, but sinful man. You look at the accounts of Scripture. How often is it where the angels appear... And they rebuke man, so don't do that. Worship God, right? Don't, don't bow down to me, right? I'm an angel. Worship the Lord. There is correction. But you see in the scriptures how often it's mentioned about angels. We're told that they're ministering spirits to those who will inherit salvation. If you look at their ministry in the life of Jesus, that Jesus was seen by angels, What are angels? Angels are created above humans. But they are not recipients of salvation. The story was that Satan was this prime angel that he wanted to take the place of God. That he persuaded some of the other angels to follow him. And a third of them uh, fell, became demons. And they're roaming about causing trouble that they have no possibility of salvation. They can't be saved. So those that fell, there's there's no no repentance. There's there's no forgiveness. There's no salvation for them. Humans, on the other hand, are different. And this is why we're told 1 Peter 1, verse 12, regarding the revelation of the good news of Jesus Christ and the glories to come, that they long to peer into these truths. They long to look into them. You think about the ministry of angels. They were present at Christ's birth. Luke 2, 13 and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host. Praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Think also about how angels minister to Jesus. At his Temptation in Matthew 4 after Satan departed so Satan tempted Jesus uh, with three temptations and then after Jesus rebuked him with the Holy Scriptures as the sword of the spirit that Satan uh, departed he didn't, he didn't stop tempting him he just did a tactical retreat but well, we're told that angels tended to him afterwards they ministered to him then in the garden of Gethsemane as Jesus was praying with his disciples, he told them to watch and pray just for an hour, and they fell asleep on him. And I don't know about you, it's easy to point fingers at them, but you realize that we're not that much better. Luke 22:43 that the angels strengthened him as he prayed in agony in that garden. Angels were present at Jesus's tomb. Announcing his resurrection. They were at the foot. At the head of where Jesus lay. And they announced his resurrection. And then Acts chapter 1 verses 10 and 11. The angels were present at Christ's ascension. And they announced to God's people. Hey you've been given an assignment. Go do it. So Jesus was taken up in the clouds. And then his disciples were standing there looking up. And the angels said, hey, he's going to return in the same way that he was taken up. Now, basically they said, go, get to work. Take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Angels also minister to humans. You think about how Jesus was seen by the angels. The angels do not long to see the things of this world. They're not longing to see. hey, we want to be at the next major uh, philosophy conference. Hey, you know what? We're we're going to be at this world summit, this uh, uh, climate change summit. You know, this is a historic event. This is a major event. The Olympic Games. You think about any of the most watched things on TV, right? Whatever royal weddings, you know, Princess Diana. I don't know if you know Princess Diana. Maybe some of you were born after she died, but uh, she died, and there was a funeral, and there's there's a whole lot of people watching. You, know, you think about the Super Bowl and arts and entertainment. I don't think I don't think the angels are curious about any of those things. They may they may occupy our attention, perhaps a little too much. And here, what we're saying. That the angels who have no possibility of salvation, they long to look into these things. How much it is that you and I should not long for the things of this world, the arts, the entertainment. Rather, we should desire to know and understand God's truth as He has revealed it to us in Jesus Christ. Do you long to hear? Of this good news. Do you long to hear. About Jesus Christ. That he is your hope. Of glory. That he is your hope for eternal life. There's also the proclamation. Of Jesus. Among the nations. And the term there for nations. And the term for Gentiles. is really the same thing. And for, for the Jews. To think. Wait a minute you're telling me that the Gospel that Jesus didn't just come for us, he came for the dogs, for the Gentiles. they must have thought so they must have believed it because you think about Christianity, it was really carried out by the Jews that these people who followed Jesus initially were all Jews ethnically, religiously, they were Jews, and they were saying, hey, Jesus came for all the nations. You think about Psalm forty-seven or Psalm sixty-seven, speaking about how our God let the nations be glad, meaning even let the Gentiles be glad, that Gentiles would worship Jesus. God's plan was that the gospel would not remain in Israel, and. you see how comfortable men get. You think about the, what happened in Jerusalem. That people were breaking bread. And fellowshipping. And, and they would just keep doing that. But then no. There has to be the good news spread. And, and what happened? Well God sent persecution. So that they would go. They would get out. Otherwise they would say. No no we're comfortable here. We, we enjoy fellowship. And no. it was persecution that sent them out. And so also. You think about the, what the Lord does. And why is it that. With persecution, you have the spread of the gospel. So also for you and for me, can I become too comfortable? Think about who Jesus is calling. It's the nations. Proclaimed among the nations. What Jesus does is he sends his people far. Ephesians 2, we're told about those who are outside... Who are far away who've been brought near by the blood of Christ I don't know about you I don't think I have any blood of Abraham I don't think I have any Jewish blood at all I'm a Gentile perhaps the majority of the world are Gentiles but you realize that God's plan was not that the gospel would remain in any one place with any one people he wouldn't die with a people that the Lord is calling worshippers he's calling sinners to faith and repentance that this is the good news. And this method is that there would be the sharing of the gospel. There would be the preaching of the gospel. Is this message of Jesus Christ good news to you? If so, then it should be manifested by you and I bearing good news. This hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Come, come hear about Jesus. You see, this is not a secret society. You think about other religions. Many other religions, they're not about proselytizing. They're not about making disciples. Other religions, they keep to themselves. Their goal is not to grow. Their goal is to look down on those outside. But Jesus never tells us to do that. He calls us that we might Speak to others. And tell them about this good news. Because it's good news to you and to me first. And so also it can be good news to others. So here we have the second point. The witness of Jesus Christ. We have the third point. The reception of Jesus Christ. He's believed on in the world. Taken up in glory. So this Reception. The description of salvation is that Jesus is believed on in the world. <clears throat> For sinners, they're content to live in darkness. But we're told that those who were in darkness there in Isaiah 9, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light shone. Then John chapter 3 We're told that Jesus is that light. But men love darkness rather than the light. And that those who love Jesus Christ come into the light because God is light. And here, what we have is a foolish message preached. So he's believed on in the world. There's that question, Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom... Has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Perhaps you're asking that same question. Why would someone believe this foolish message? That a dead man would rise from the grave. Think about that. Think about the... Toward the end of Acts. You have the Apostle Paul. He's on trial. He's held. And, and he's, he's heard tried by various people... And then he appeals to Caesar. And you think about, I forgot the exact instance of who said it, but someone is listening to Paul as he's dialoguing with these Jewish leaders who are trying to set an ambush. They're under some vow that they won't eat or drink until they kill Paul. And you have these Gentile rulers who are listening to this, and they're saying, hey, it's clear to us that this man has committed no crime. He, he, he hasn't done anything that's worthy of imprisonment or death. And they summarize it by a, one of the rules. is Hey, these guys are disagreeing about something regarding their law. Here this man's telling us about someone who was dead but now is alive. And that's their summary. Hey, a dead person is now living. And to the Greeks, we're told that a resurrection of the dead, they scoff at the dust. That's that's garbage. That's nonsense. How can a dead man be raised? It's impossible. That's part of the foolishness. First Corinthians one twenty-one. For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Who has believed our message? The answer is only those who have been given new life. It's a foolish message. But there is a guaranteed response. There is a guaranteed response. First Corinthians 1.18 For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Amen. It's the power of God. It's a foolish message to those who are living according to the carnal life. But to those who are filled with the Spirit, who are indwelt with the Spirit, who are created anew in Jesus Christ, this is the power of God. You think about faith. It's not just an intellectual acknowledgement. It's not just, yeah, God is almighty. He can raise someone from the dead. God is almighty. He is great in authority. He can forgive sin. But the question comes in, not just is Jesus the Savior of the world, but is He your Savior? Is He your Lord? Are you trusting in Him for eternal life, for the forgiveness of your sins? It's not just believing a certain set truths. Faith always, true faith always coexists with repentance. And with obedience. That you will obey the Lord Jesus. He's not just your savior. He's your Lord too. He's your master. And with faith comes a new love. A new love for God. And that's, that's that great mystery. The great mystery of godliness. Of devotion. Belief in Jesus Christ comes with it. A changed life. And faith is not merely an adherent to a doctrinal system. That we can't just hold to Christianity or hold to, to the uh, Reformed teachings and, and say, hey, you know what? This is, this is what I'm excited about. No. You must be excited about a, a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. This is you having a new friendship. Having a new Lord. And that these truths merely speak to us about who it is that you and I worship. That Jesus Christ is Lord and Master, that He must be of our lives, that we become His disciples. So that's believed on in the world. We also have His ascension being taken up in glory, that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. In John chapter 6, verse 62. Jesus gives a difficult teaching. The crowds were following him. He gives his difficult teaching, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood in order to be saved. And then he, his disciples tell him, hey, this is a difficult teaching, who can accept it? Jesus says, do you take offense at this? In verse 62, John 6:62. 6, then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Meaning, where he belongs. Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, we're told about how Jesus humbled himself to be found in human form, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. Amen. This is what, this is what has happened, this is what will happen when Jesus returns. That Jesus was exalted to a place even higher than he was before, because he willingly humbled himself. That, that God puts all things in subjection. To the feet of Jesus. Ephesians one twenty-two, And that God. Our Lord Jesus has promised. That he has gone ahead. To prepare a place. For his followers. To you and I. Who are trusting in him. And so I ask you. Are you trusting. that That God will raise you up in glory. And is it because of your merits. Or is it because of the perfect merits. Of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the perfect Savior. You say, well, I lack righteousness. Well, you do. Jesus' righteousness is freely given to us. That He lived the perfect life. And He calls you to receive it by faith. To trust in Him. That we don't earn it by our works. We receive it by faith. That we are justified apart from works. By faith we receive the free promise... Of eternal life, of the forgiveness of sins. And so we look at these six statements. They're simple. And that it's a common confession. And they're all about Jesus Christ. And I ask you, is Jesus the center of your life? And is He the object of your hope? Here also, <clears throat> we think about the common confession. Christianity is not about some secret knowledge. Understand, Christianity is about mastering the basics. These are such basics. You realize that the experts, the mature in Jesus Christ, are not those who have moved on to bigger and better things. No, not at all. It's true in science. It's true in in whatever field of study. The masters are those who have learned to master the basics. And when you get there, when I get there, we're going to say, Hey, Christianity is about focusing on the essential teachings of Jesus, the, the simple things that he has given us. It's not about some secret knowledge hidden away with some secret code. No, it's freely taught to us in the word of God that the Holy Spirit uses the word of God to instruct us here we think about how simple the gospel truths are and you would think all kinds of people would believe it who would pass up such a good message but you realize people are enamored with other things they're enamored with the things of this world It's understandable that those who are outside of Christ would be enamored with the world. They like the things of the world. What's odd is for those of us who claim faith in Jesus Christ, that we would love something other than Christ. It should be manifested in our lives that we learn to let go of the things of this world, and that we treasure our Lord Jesus more each day. May we go to our God together in prayer.